Now, I know Christmas is an exciting time, and uh, everybody's anticipating a lot of wonderful opportunities to be together, but uh, have you learned that Christmas time can also be a little bit stressful? A little bit stressful. There's a lot going on. And one of the stresses at Christmas time is making the effort to somehow make everyone happy. Anyone ever feel that? Trying to make everyone happy at Christmas time? Trying to find the perfect gift for every single person that you love and that you care about. Some good friends of ours in this church, uh, they found my perfect gift. Yesterday, I got a package in the mail, and it was, it was clearly food because of the way it was packaged. That was a good start. And uh, I opened it up to see what it was, and some of our friends, they paid for us to be a part of the Bacon of the Month Club. Yeah. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus, someone in this church is listening to the Spirit. And so, so uh, every month we're going to get a new bacon mailed to our house. My doctor's not happy about it, but I'm thrilled. And uh, yesterday's was an applewood smoked bacon from Wisconsin, and uh, it smelled like campfire bacon. It was, it was beautiful. So the, the pressure to find the perfect present, uh, looking through Amazon and walking through the malls. And for those of you that have just given up on perfect presents, there's always gift cards. And so we, we we're thankful for that. How about the pressure to get the right food on the table Christmas day? Because everybody has preferences, whether it's turkey or, or a rib roast or ham, but that pressure of getting everything just right so that everybody who's there will find something that they like to eat. How about the pressure of splitting up your time with family? That's tricky, right? Trying to figure out how you're going to make all your family happy and you give them all a chunk of your time. There's a lot of pressure when it comes to that. There's also the pressure of, and we don't have any control over this, but making everyone happy with the weather, the weather on Christmas Day. I think most of us would agree, even though we live in Syracuse and it snows 285 days a year, that the one day a year, right, The one day a year that we would like, or at least wouldn't complain about a little bit of snow on the ground, is Christmas. So we're trying to make everyone happy. You know, this morning we're we're going to look together at a familiar part of the Christmas story. We're going to look at the story of the shepherds, and we're going to learn that Christmas is for everyone. It's for everyone. It's not just for some. It's not just for those who are here this morning or for those who are in a church somewhere this morning. It's not just for an insider group. Christmas really is for everyone. And let's look together at Luke chapter 2. I'm reading to you from verses 8 through 20 from the ESV. And Luke, this great historian, writes these words. He says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping over their flock, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude, it's a countless amount of angels, a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, well, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, which means they, they went quick. And they found Mary and Joseph and their baby lying in a manger. 
And when they saw this, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. What does this story mean for us 2,000 years later? What does this story mean for you? What does it mean for me? And what I believe it means is that Christmas is for everyone. We're going to see that there's three things that we see in this text. And the first one is this, that because of Christmas, everyone can have joy. Everyone can have joy. You know, there's well-known characters in the Christmas story, right? Mary, Joseph, baby Jesus, shepherds, angels, Rudolph, you know, Frosty the Snowman. There's one, there's one person who tends to get overlooked, but he played a really large lo- role in the story, and, in the, and specifically in the world that Jesus was born into. And Bethany, earlier during her greeting, she read to us the first seven verses of Luke chapter 2. In the first verse, she said this, In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Caesar Augustus, that ancient historians tell us that Caesar Augustus, who also was known as Octavian, as if Caesar Augustus is not an impressive-sounding enough name. He gives himself the name Octavian. He was the great-nephew of Julius Caesar. And Caesar Augustus was a fighter, and he clawed his way to the top to be the empire, or to be the ruler of the empire of Rome. And the way he did it was after his great-uncle Julius Caesar was assassinated, he joined Mark Antony, and they punished and defeated the two men who were responsible for the assassination of Julius Caesar, Brutus and Cassius, in 44 BC. And then about 13 years later, Caesar Augustus changed teams. He turned against Mark Antony. And Caesar Augustus defeated Mark Antony, who had then combined with Cleopatra, and defeated them, and he became the sole Roman ruler of the empire. And through his genius and the force of who he was, he gave the empire, the Roman empire, a strength and a solidity that endured for centuries, Caesar Augustus. And we know some things about him because archaeologists have discovered and um, found details about his life. And one of the things they found was an ancient inscription that hailed Augustus as a god. And this is an exact quote off the inscription. They said that Caesar Augustus' birthday, here's the quote, birthday signaled the beginning of good news for the world. The birth of Caesar Augustus was pronounced as good news for the world. And that Greek word good news is evangelion, which is the word that we get the, our word gospel from. And it's the same word that the angels use when they said, today we bring to you good news that leads to great joy for all people. So what does that mean? It means this. When the angel said to the shepherds that day that this is good news for all people, it was in direct defiance to the pronouncement that Caesar Augustus' birth was good news for the world. And it's still a statement of defiance to this very day. Why? Well, because I think if we're honest, we realize every single person is looking for good news. Every single person is searching after, seeking after, chasing after some sort of good news, something to lift their spirits. And I know that in the Christmas season, while we celebrate and many people's spirits are lifted, this is a very difficult season for many. Something to lift their spirits, something to give them joy, something to give them meaning and purpose. Everyone's looking for some sort of good news. And if they don't find it in Jesus Christ, they're going to look for it in Caesar. 
They're going to look, look for it in someone or something else. They're going to make something or someone else the ruler and master of their heart. And the joy that came with the birth of Caesar Augustus was only good news for some. It was actually bad news for others. In other words, the joy that came at the birth of Caesar Augustus, it was not universal joy, and it was not lasting joy. It wasn't for everyone, and it wasn't going to last forever. And that's true with our lives, too. Think about it. When you make something temporary or temperamental the source of your joy, it doesn't last forever, and it can't do that for you. But the good news that the angels speak of, the gospel, is a pronouncement. It's an announcement of what God has done, what he was doing, and what he would do to redeem his people and to make all things right. This good news is not, it's different than good advice. Good advice is, here's what you need to do. Here's how you need to respond. But good news is, here's what's been done for you. And so when the angel said, hey, how many of you are glad the angels didn't show up that night and say, we got good advice for you? Live better, love people, be kind, don't go into debt, you know, be faithful. Like, we all would have been like, ah, all right, I'll do my best. But thank God the angels didn't show up that night to the shepherds and say, we've brought, we've brought good advice for you. You know why? Because good advice doesn't bring great joy. Only good news does. And the good news that was brought by the angels to the shepherds was universal and it was eternal. It's joy for all, and it's joy that always lasts. And here's the other thing. It's for everyone, because it's, we know that, because look at who heard the good news first. The angels didn't come and, and announce it to famous people, to wealthy people, to, to very moral people, to very religious people. The angels came to the shepherds. Well, what do we know about shepherds? Shepherds were despised by the good, respectable people of that day. Uh, most, most respectable people looked down their nose at, at shepherds. Here's some things that we know from history. The shepherds were regarded as thieves. The only people in society that, they were, that were lower than shepherds were lepers who couldn't even be a part of a community. Uh, shepherds were looked down on so much that they weren't even allowed to give testimony in legal cases. Their, their witness didn't even hold up because people said, well, you can't trust a shepherd. A shepherd is a thief and a liar, so they weren't allowed to serve as witnesses in legal cases in Judaism. However, what's amazing is God chose these shepherds to be the first witness to the announcement that there was good news of great joy for all people. And that the, the fact that the message came to shepherds first and not to the high and might, mighty, it reminds us that God comes to the needy. He comes to those who are poor in spirit. God's not looking for the impressive people. He's looking for people who know they're not impressive. He's, looking, he's not looking for people who have qualified themselves. He's simply looking for people who know that they need help, that they need a savior, that they need hope, that they need joy. This message is for everyone, that everyone can have joy. Second thing we see in this text is everyone can have hope. In verse 11, the angel said, for unto you is born in this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Three titles there, right? Savior, Christ, and Lord. Well, what does this mean? Savior. When Caesar Augustus was first, uh, he was the first Caesar to be called Augustus. Uh, the Roman Senate voted to give him that title about 30 years before Jesus was born. And Augustus, the word Augustus, it means holy or revered. And up until the moment that the Roman Senate voted to call Caesar Augustus Augustus, that title, Augustus, was reserved only for gods. 
So when they gave Caesar the title Augustus, they were saying, you're a god. In fact, there's an inscription that's been found at Halicarnassus, which calls Caesar, quote, the savior of the whole world. That's how Caesar Augustus was viewed. But when the angels showed up that night and said, unto you this day, a baby's been born in the city of David, and he's, he's the savior. Here's what the angels are saying. The savior of the world is not mighty Augustus in Rome. But the Savior of the world is an infant lying in a feeding trough in the city of David. Jesus, our Savior. I I learned something this week when I was studying this passage that I didn't previously know. Most commentators believe that the sheep that the shepherds were watching over that night were sheep that were designated to be sacrificed in the temple for the forgiveness of sins. And the reason that they believe that is because of the proximity of the shepherds to the town of Bethlehem. And there was laws and rules back then that we know from historical documents, specifically from a document called the Mishnah, which said that shepherds were supposed to be in the wilderness far away from the city. And the only time that they're allowed to be in the pastures near the city is when they were shepherding and watching over sheep that were designated to soon be sacrificed in the temple for the forgiveness of sins of people. So the sheep were a part of this sacrificial system that for the people of Israel, the Jewish people, provided the forgiveness of their sins and it provided the promise of salvation. But when the angels uh, came to the shepherds that night, they said, they basically were saying, no longer are you going to rely upon this sacrificial system because there's a true and better sacrifice coming. Jesus is the sheep. He's the lamb of God who was slain from the foundations of the earth, who laid down his life for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus is our savior because he was our substitute in life and he was our substitute in death. In other words, Jesus is our savior because he lived the perfect righteous life that we owe to God that you and I could never live. But then he also went to the cross on our behalf as our substitutionary sacrifice And he died in our place so that we could be forgiven of our sins and also so that we could receive his gift of righteousness. And that's the heart of the gospel, substitution. You know, I forget who it is. Maybe it was John Stott who said, sin is basically man trying to substitute himself for God. But salvation was God substituting himself for man. And in Jesus, we have this great savior. The angel sang glory to God in the highest and on earth Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace. Jesus' saving work brings peace between God and man. Inside Rome, uh, in in the forum, there was what was called the Temple of War. And the Temple of War was only opened up when Rome was at war. And under Caesar Augustus' reign, the Temple of War remained closed for 40 years. For 40 years, Rome had peace. And uh, to memorialize the peace, they built this famous monument, and it was about Augustus. And basically, there was this, everybody would say, Caesar Augustus is a god of peace, and he brought peace to us. But when you look closely at the peace that Rome had, Rome and Augustus, how did they get peace? They got peace by bludgeoning every single one of their foes into submission. There was peace, but it was a dark peace. One of the commentators calls it a, a Hitler's peace. And and no man or woman or or boy or girl could say a word against it without fearfully looking over his or her shoulder. So while they claimed that Augustus had brought peace, really people's hearts were still filled with great fear. What kind of peace is it if we're still afraid? The peace that Jesus brought, it didn't create more fear. It cast out fear. 
He's our Savior, and he made peace between us and God so that we could be reconciled to God and be in right relationship with God. Not only did the angels say that he was the Savior, they said that he was Christ the Lord. And when you look at the Greek, um, they're actually kind of, those titles are kind of pushed together. The, the most, the most um, direct reading, the most literal reading of it is just, he's Christ Lord. But in the translations that we read, it often says, Christ the Lord. Well, Christ is, can mean the anointed one. Christ also is, uh, comes from the Hebrew word Messiah. And in saying Christ, the angels are saying, this uh, Savior that's coming is connected to the stories in the Old Testament. It's the fulfillment of the promise for the Messiah who's going to come and deliver and rescue and restore the Jewish people. And sure enough, as we read through the Gospel of Luke, we'll see that Jesus came first to the Jewish people and then to the Gentiles. So this is the fulfillment of a story that was begun many years ago through Abraham that's coming to a moment of fulfillment in Jesus. That's why they say Christ. But when they say Lord... This idea of Jesus being Lord, this is a real threat to Caesar Augustus, isn't it? Because Caesar Augustus, he is Lord, he is ruler, he's the one who's supposed to rule over the entire world. But what's interesting is when we look at this story, we realize that this mighty, powerful Augustus, who everybody thought was divine and had all power to rule, he was actually just a tool in God's hands. He was just a tool in God's sovereign plans. Earlier when Bethany read to us, she mentioned how Joseph and Mary had to go to Bethlehem to register. Well, Caesar Augustus, his relentless arm stretched out to squeeze tribute. So he, he, was getting, he wanted tax money from every single person who lived in his empire. Sounds like today. But anyway, squeezing tribute out of his people. And even in a tiny village at the far end of the Mediterranean, a village named Nazareth, and that's why Joseph and Mary had to go somewhere, because Caesar Augustus is rolling up his sleeve and flexing his power and saying, I'm so powerful that I can make anybody move and go wherever I tell them to go by a simple decree. That's power, to say something and make people get up and go back to their hometown. And that's what he's done. He's flexing his strength. And that's why Joseph, this village carpenter, and Mary, this expecting teenage bride, was forced to travel all the way from Nazareth to Bethlehem to be registered. Why? For taxation. Mary and Joseph appear to be helpless pawns caught in the movement of secular history, but every move was under the hand of an almighty sovereign God. Why? Because in Micah 5.2, hundreds of years ago, the prophet Micah prophesied that the Savior of the world would be born where? Not in Nazareth, but in Bethlehem. And what I love about this, what I love about noticing this, is that Augustus thought he was the one wielding godlike power, making other people pawns in his plan, but Augustus was just a pawn in God's plan. And God ruled and reigned over him and used Augustus to redirect Mary and Joseph to the city of David, to Bethlehem, where Jesus was to be born because of what was prophesied by the prophet Micah six, five hundred years previously, so that we could know and receive our Savior our Christ and our Lord. And before I go to our last point this morning, let me just pause and ask this question. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Is he your savior? Is he your Christ? And is he your Lord? How do you know if he's your savior? Well, you know he's your savior if you've placed all your hope and trust in his work and not your own. The truth is, is that we're very prone to trust in our own work, our own goodness, our own morality, our own religious activity, and to sort of wear all that like a badge. I've come to church every day or every Sunday this year, and here's my badge 
to prove it. I serve and, and I give and I'm a better person than my neighbors and the things they do, I don't do and all these things. It's very easy for us to fall into the trap and say, this is how I know that I'm, I'm, I'm right with God. This is how I know. And ultimately, whatever you look to to feel good about yourself, that's what you're putting your hope and your trust in. And when it says that Jesus is our savior, that sounds warm and comforting, but it's actually more uh, confrontational and offensive than you might think, because here's what it means. If Jesus is your savior, it means that there's nothing else that can save you. You can't look to anything else. You can't look to anyone else. And you can't even look to yourself, because only in Christ do we find salvation, forgiveness of sins. Is he Christ and Lord of our lives? And you'll know that he's Lord of your life if he's the ruler of your life, if he rules over your emotions, if he rules over your uh, finances, if he rules over your relationships, if God sits on the throne, we sang it this morning, come King Jesus, what do we say? Set your throne, set your throne here in our hearts. Can I encourage you? That should be a prayer that we should all pray every single morning. Wake up and say, Jesus, King Jesus, not just Jesus, my savior, but Jesus, my king, my ruler, would you set your throne in my heart? Because we're all so prone to place other things upon the throne of our hearts. Very often it's ourselves. It's our comfort. It's our convenience. It's our craving for power or for, or for respectability or for control, whatever it is. Who is Jesus to you? And then lastly this morning, so what we learn is everyone can have joy. Everyone can have hope. But the last thing we learn from this story is everyone can have purpose. Everyone can have purpose. And I think you would agree with me. There's just about nothing worse in life than feeling like you don't have purpose. Feeling like there's no point to your life. In verse 16, it says that the shepherds ran with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and they found the baby lying in a manger. Have you ever wondered what that scene looked like? I've wondered. What was that like? This teenage girl giving birth to a full-term baby boy with no medical intervention, Joseph, a carpenter, not exactly a doctor, not exactly a nurse, trying to help her through this. What a, what a scene. And I want to read to you this. Uh, I was reading one of, the, one of the books I studied in preparing for this morning, and it gave, us, gave me some good insight into what this, uh, what this would have looked like. It says this, In Bethlehem, the accommodations for travelers back then were primitive, the Eastern Inn, which is where uh, Joseph and Mary would have headed, it was the crudest of all arrangements. And here, here's how the commentator describes this, what an Eastern... So you guys travel, you know what hotels are like now, right? Hotels are nice, they're, 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 they're private, you got your own room, you got your own bathroom, you got comfy, clean space, hopefully. Here's what it was like back then. Typically, it was a series of stalls built on the inside of an enclosure... And they, all these stalls opened onto a common yard where the animals were kept. So imagine a big structure where there were just slats of wood sort of creating separate little stalls and everybody would come into the enclosure and they would put their animals in the middle of the area where they would be fed and watered and then they would go into their stall and they would sleep there for the night. I don't think that would do, uh, get very good reviews online if it was like that today. And on, that, and on that cold day, when Mary and Joseph arrived, we know from the story that nothing at all was available, right? There was no room in the inn. And we kind of picture that meaning like there was no private rooms. Now, it wasn't that there wasn't just any private rooms. None of those stalls was available for them. 
Not one of those crude stalls. And despite the urgency, nobody would say to them, you can have my stall, you can have my space. So here's what it means. Here's where Jesus was most likely born, in a common courtyard, in the, in the enclosure, but in the middle of that courtyard where all the traveler's animals were tied up and where, that's where Mary gave birth to Jesus with Joseph attending to her. And this is where the shepherds would have found the baby Jesus. Now, when we look at the humble surroundings of the birth of Jesus, what does it tell us about our purpose? Well, one thing's for sure. Our purpose is not at all what the world values. Our purpose is not to be seen and celebrated. Our purpose is not to draw attention to ourselves. Our purpose is not to lead a life of comfort and luxury and excess. Our our purpose is not to stockpile power and influence that we can wield over other people. Our purpose is not to control others and not to control outcomes. Our purpose is simply to humbly and obediently fulfill God's plan and purpose for our lives, for the glory of God and for the good of others. And we see that in the birth of Jesus. And the shepherds get it. Because once they see Jesus, it changes their purpose. They have a new purpose. And in the NLT, Luke chapter 2, verse 17 reads this way. It says, after seeing Jesus, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angels had said to them about this child. The shepherds had a new purpose. And their purpose now was, now that I've seen the good news, now that I know there's a Savior, now that I know Christ the Lord has come, to live amongst us as a baby, to wrap himself in flesh, to wrap himself in the human experience, to wrap himself in our sin and in our shame, to endure for us on the cross the work that is needed for us to have hope and joy and purpose. Now that I've seen it, all I can do is bring glory to God in all that I do, bring glory to God in all that I am, and point everyone I know to the love and the hope and the joy that is found in Jesus. You know what Christmas does if you're a believer? Christmas makes you a missionary. The Christmas story makes you a missionary. You know what the shepherds became? Missionaries, evangelists, carriers of good news. So good news is not meant to be kept to yourself. Over the next couple of days, you go on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all you're going to see is people's gifts and what people are eating. Why? Because good news is not meant to be kept. Good news is meant to be shared. And this is the greatest news of all time. Good news that brings great joy that's for all people. Christmas makes us all missionaries because we, we now have good news to tell and to show to everyone. And the good news is this, that Christmas is for everyone. And everyone can have joy, everyone can have hope, and everyone can have purpose. Let's pray together this morning.